Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and you know what? I to- this is what happens to me because I get so involved in things and I pay so little attention to other things. I completely missed the two-year anniversary of the show. The first episodes aired October 10th of 2018. It is now, what, 20th, 21st? And um, yeah, so I completely missed it. But uh, happy anniversary to the show. Thank you guys for listening, for sharing, for giving me feedback, giving me suggestions, asking for guests, like all the cool stuff that you guys have done. But the most important thing is for all of those who have given ratings and reviews, thank you all very, very, very much. Um, It's been quite a journey the last couple of years, and we're not quite uh, halfway there yet. We're getting pretty close. But it's been uh, it's been really fun. I've gotten to speak with a lot of people that I never thought I would have the opportunity to speak to. Part of that has been, honestly, you know, because of COVID. Uh, People are a little bit more available now. They have products they want to promote. They're not out filming as much. They're not out on tour because nobody's playing. It's been, uh, you know, it's been really interesting. But in any case, I have uh, had the opportunity to talk to a lot of wonderful people over the last two years. My guest today is one of those people. He was on last year and we did our top horror movie countdown, which was a lot of fun for last Halloween. This year, he's back with a new album of his own, the self-titled album, David Rosen. I absolutely adore this album. It's fantastic. I would encourage you to check it out. Links are in the show notes and uh, we're going to get into it on, uh, on, we're going to talk about many of the songs and a lot of the intricacies of it. Um, Definitely a very unique album, and it's so difficult for project like projects like these to be classified so that people can find them if that's what they're looking for. New Age is such a broad category nowadays that if you just say, yeah, it's New Age, well, okay, but there's so many divisions of that. It's like hip-hop. How many different divisions of hip-hop do we have? When I go to upload a song or an album, and uh, let's say I'm doing it on DistroKid or when I was working with CD Baby or, you know, any of these sites that are going to branch out to other sites like Apple Music or, uh, you know, Amazon, Pandora, Spotify, all those companies, you know, they're trying to standardize how you categorize it so that they know where to send it. And it's a simplified process. But there are so many subcategories of categories and subcategories of those subcategories that it's so difficult to really nail down how to promote your projects. And that certainly was a challenge uh, for me on just about everyone I'm doing. I'm already thinking ahead to releasing the Entrance 2 album, which I've, I've gotten a couple of songs completed on. And, you know, I'm not sure how to, to uh, market it yet. So it's really going to depend on how it takes shape. But basically, it's going to fall somewhere in the new age category. It doesn't really have a category for what it is. I don't think there is anything else like what it is, except for Entranced 1. So it's a real challenge for for guys like David and myself who do these specialized projects to really find a way to get them out there. So I'm really happy to have him on the show, happy to talk about the album. He does a great walkthrough on his podcast, Piecing It Together, which is normally a film review podcast, but he took an episode out to work on his album. He goes uh, song by song, talks to you about the history of it, how it came about. Very, very fascinating stuff. And you get a taste of the music. You can kind of understand, you know, what the album is all about. But go to iTunes, go to Apple Music and go to, uh, you know, Amazon, Spotify, wherever and check it out. And then you'll love it and then go buy it on Bandcamp. 
So uh, not a lot happening here. I'm still in the preparing stages for the Uriah Heap, the Magicians podcast coming to you November 3rd. I plan on launching with several episodes. Uh, I've just been in the process of putting that together, getting all the links. Uh, It is now linked to most major places. There is one episode available, which is basically my audio welcome letter like I did with this show because I needed to get the news feed generated so I could reach out to all the other places. Uh, The Haskcast podcast is also now on Stitcher, which I'm very excited about. Um, We didn't have an avenue for that before, but now we do. And now it is there and available. So where you listen to other great podcasts, you can listen to this one, but you're already listening wherever you're listening. So uh, let's bring David on. But before we do, once again, thank you guys all. It's been an amazing two years. We've got a couple years at least to go on this. I'm planning on continuing this maybe slightly less frequently at times uh, due to how busy I'll be with the Uriah Heap, uh, the Magicians podcast, but uh, certainly dedicated to keeping things going for you. Unfortunately, some of my interviews that I had planned have dropped out because of various situations and you know, it's a, it's a, it's just turmoil for a lot of people out there right now and people that have things to promote. They're trying to figure out when the best time is to do it, how best to do it. And no one knows how to navigate these waters because they've never happened in a time when the entertainment business has been so booming. So everything's kind of up in the air. People are trying to figure out strategies. Uh, interviews that I was promised have been delayed. Some have been canceled. And uh, it's frustrating, but you know what? I'm going to keep bringing the show to you guys and keep bringing on the best guests I can bring you. So that being said, uh, you know, when you get a chance, please leave a rating or review on whatever podcast outlet you're listening on. If you have anything that you want to talk to me about, any suggestions, uh, I have, I do have to, uh, to do a review here soon. It's been a while since I've done one of those. Um, write me at scott at scotthaskin.com. And the link is, to everything is in the show notes, of course. And thank you guys very much. We're looking forward to, uh, you know, another 150 plus episodes before we wrap this thing up. So in the meantime, let's find out about this fantastic self-titled album by David Rosen. And here to talk about it is David Rosen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very happy to welcome back not only a fellow composer and a fellow podcaster and a fellow film composer and a fellow Nevada, Nevadan, I guess it is, uh, but also a friend, David Rosen. David, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. Oh, man, I'm so glad that you were able to take some time out and and come here. I'm really, really anxious to talk to you about the new album that just came out, your self-titled David Rosen album. Um, mm-hmm. why, why I, I've never done a self-titled album. What made you do it? Isn't it funny? Like both of us hadn't done a self-titled album with all of the music that we've put out, but yeah, yeah I, I don't know what, what made me not make the first one, David Rosen, but I'm glad I didn't because I really, truly, and I, I mean, every artist should be saying my new one is my favorite thing I've done, but I, I, I truly feel like this album, there's nothing that I wasn't able to accomplish on it you know as far as uh my my ability is catching up to technology catching up to knowing how to use my technology and i I just feel like it is absolutely a representation of of what i want david rosen's music to sound like and so that's why i was like you know it's time this is the self-titled one so was that a, a decision after you did all the music 
It definitely was. Um, I, I was working on, so this album definitely was kind of like born out of the, you know, the whole pandemic situation. I, I had a bunch of these tracks already in the works for a couple of years, but, um, the pandemic hit in March and in April, I started working on new music. I had those first, that was lazy the first like couple of weeks. And then, uh, right around April 1st, I just, I don't know, I just, walked into my my studio room and just started making music and next thing i knew i had like another 20 tracks to add to the rest that were already you know started and then i just started kind of sequencing and figuring out which songs made sense together as an album and i i had another title in mind at first it's actually one of the songs on the album awake asleep repeat right uh that that's what i was going to call the album but then once it all just kind of started coming together i was like yeah this this has to be the self-titled album you know what, though? I'm, I like that as a title, but I don't think it really works for this kind of music. I think if you were doing a meditation album or something that was sure. therapeutic, that it would just like lead me to think that's what the album was. It's definitely very ambient sounding or very, uh, you know, like new agey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I and it's it's interesting because I know that you have leftover material from these sessions. But if you were to do a follow up album, it would be kind of weird to call it David Rosa, too. Yeah, I know. I, I I thought I thought about that. I, I actually on my list of possible future albums, I just have written. Yeah, it doesn't say what the album is volume two of. It's just called volume two. Right. Like Led Zeppelin two or, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there is some really good stuff on here. And now on your uh, on your piecing it together podcast, you took an episode away from film which is what you Mm -hmm. normally discuss on that show. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, you took an episode to actually do uh, a walkthrough of the album and give your thoughts track by track uh, on top of the music. Uh, First of all, I thought you mixed it great. I could hear everything, but I could hear you clearly speaking. I wasn't lacking for music. Uh, The the mixing on it was fantastic. But you, you, it shows how passionate you are about what you create and I loved that. I think that was my favorite part of it was just how how much you love the work that you do. Well, thank you. I, first of all, I, I appreciate you saying about the mixing of it because that was actually something I, I wasn't sure if I knew how to do going into doing that. And I, I had to bring up some tutorials and make sure I'm doing it the best way possible, you know. And I, like you said, you know, you want you want people to be able to hear the music, but you want them to be able to hear me and you don't want either one of those things to overpower it. So it was definitely a learning experience in that alone. Um, but but yeah, it was it was a, a fun thing to do. I I just thought it would be one of uh, the many things I did in kind of, you know, this is my sixth album. And of course, you know, making it self-titled, it kind of lends itself to a, uh, you know, looking back at your career in a way. I also just redid my website from the ground up. And and so it just seemed like uh, like it would be a fun, cool thing to do. And for anybody who does enjoy my music, for them to be able to, you know, other than just like a blog post or something, to be able to get more stories and insight into into the music I make. And especially since these last few years, podcasting has really like taken over my life. I'm so used to just sitting in front of the microphone and talking. So it's like I figured I might as well put that new skill to use. You know, exactly. And I started doing it that way, too. I've done a few episodes of my show where I've uh, just dedicated it to an album that I've done. But I started doing uh, videos like, uh, you know, behind the song videos where I just, you know, go through the song and talk about it. I find it Mm. so much more difficult to edit myself on camera than I do in audio. 
that's why I don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure I could probably, uh, you know, drive myself nuts and, and put together a pretty cool video project or something, or even like for piecing it together, make some kind of video component to the show. Uh, but it just seems like such a pain. It is. <laughs> and then if you're uploading it to YouTube, like when I first started uh, doing videos for my own songs, I was getting copyright infringement notices on my own music. Oh, and God. so you got to deal with that. Uh, and, and, you know, there's no warning about that. You have to figure out what's going on. And uh, that was kind of a mess. So I'm I'm a little uh, less excited about doing videos that involve actually playing the song. I would do something like that on the podcast and just not send it to the YouTube channel so I don't have to worry about it. Right, right. right. So did you use a, <laughs> did you use a ducking compressor to do it? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, messing around with that to uh, with the automation of it, and uh, it, yeah, it worked out. It ended up being a lot easier than I thought it would be. And uh, you know, I created a nice little template because I ended up going back and doing uh, commentaries for my first four albums as well, which uh, will be hitting my Patreon and then eventually the main piecing it together feed as well. Uh, but so being able to do it the first time and then it just works. Yeah. <laughs> And then you could just make that a template, plug in the songs and yep. and just go. Uh, and we do That's have right. links to uh, to your website, which looks fantastic, by the way, and oh, uh, and you. also your Patreon and, uh, and the podcast. Um, I find it really difficult because much like you do, we have both of us have so many different things that we do. We do podcasts. We do multiple podcasts. We do music. We do film work. It's really hard to condense that all into a website and make it clearly visible to go where you want to go. But you've got you've got it set up to where you just look at it and you click on what you want. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely uh, the number one goal in redoing the site. I mean, my old site was fine, even though uh, it was built off of much older version of WordPress and was starting to fall apart a little bit, but it was basically fine, you know? And so it was like, if I'm going to redo this thing, I, I want it to be a one-stop shop where if I really, if I really wanted to, I could promote the other things through the same site. Um, and, and of course, piecing it together still has its own website and all the other podcasts that I produce or co-host or whatever, they all have their own sites and, and everything. But I could just tell people go to buydavidrosen.com. You get all the information you need about any of these things. Yeah, it's simpler. And, and I have, you know, like the links to everywhere that this show is broadcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know, all those are on that page. So if you go to the main page, the hub is there, then you can go out to any device you want to. But it, it gets them all to come to the page first. Right, right. And then, and, and then that's great because then, you know, you're, it's hard to get traffic to a website nowadays. So it's good to have all those different uh, sources of people looking for any of those things are all coming to that site. Exactly. Now, I wanted to ask you, when you started writing the music, now, now this was a weird time. The first couple weeks of, of the lockdown, I think most artists felt like I should probably be doing something, but <laughs> I kind of feel like I don't want to do anything right now, but then I'm feeling guilty if I don't do something. So I'll start and it'll be crap because I'm being guilted into it. Did you go through any of that or was it just, I'm just going to chill for a while and when I feel like working, I'll work? Well, those first few weeks, uh, my wife and I we weren't married yet at the time, so fiance right. at the time. But, but uh, we we actually got like deep into the whole like Kanmari uh, tidying thing, going through closets and throwing out stuff that we don't need. So that that was my main focus those first few weeks. But then once I actually did get to music, uh, my number one thing was I don't want to just make 
a quarantine album. Like, you know, I, I don't want to put out an album that I'm going to look back at six months from now when we're hopefully out of this, which I, I guess we're probably not going to be at that point. But, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's another story. But uh, I, I don't want to look back at it and just be like, oh, it's just something that I kind of put together with all that free time I had. Uh, I, I want it to still stand as one of my main albums that I put as much work into as I put in work, you know, on my first album, my second or any of that. Mm, yeah. And that's the thing is you you don't want anything to define the music, but whatever defines the music on its own, you know, outside exactly. factors, they're going to affect it, but they don't have to define it. Exactly. Yeah. When when did you have a uh, what did you shape the album before you started working on it? Or was it you were developing songs and you're like, you know, I like this. I want to go along this line for the rest of them. Yeah, I, I, I didn't when I first started, when I when I first started just getting back into making music in April um, and, and like it, I, it was a crazy productive time. Like, you know, I, it, it sucks what's happening to the world and everything, but I mean, man, was I productive those, that first month of April, uh, I must've made like 14, like viable new tracks, you know, not just throwaways or anything like that. Yeah. And I was just so excited by all this new music and I kept listening to it over and over again. And w once I was really like, listening to it that's when it all kind of started to shape together and i started realizing oh some of these tracks would make more sense for a different project uh this is what the album is though and these are the songs that i need to continue on now and actually finish and and turn into finished you know pieces of music yeah i find that that tends to be the case for me too when i'm working on an album i'll just start writing whatever comes to me but as I develop it, I'll realize that, yeah, this doesn't really fit that project. And much like a film, you end up with almost as much material out of the album as you did on the album. Totally. Yeah. And and, you know, a lot of times a lot of that extra material is just going to get trashed, you know, but it's like I, I, I definitely did come away with a, a nice amount of stuff that is already in the works for whatever the next project is or it really the way that I kind of picture it i picture two different new albums over the next couple of years depending on how uh, inspiration you know works out but um some of the tracks make sense for one and some of the tracks make sense for the other we'll see which one i ended up actually working on next or if i just start making all new music next you know you never know once uh once i sit back in there i do know that uh goal number one is clean my studio though because <laughs> it, it's a mess right now <laughs> yeah i've consolidated the number of cables which makes it a lot easier but every time i have to get out a piece to record something it's uh it just gets a, to be a mess again so much stuff in there. I, I think I have that same thing. Like I write extra stuff and I put it in a folder and I say, I'm, I'm going to get this out and work on it like on a, you know, quote unquote rainy day. But I mm -hmm. find that when I sit down to write, I've just always got some kind of new idea and I almost never actually go back to those folders at all. Yeah. Finishing songs is the hardest thing. Um, it really is because you, you want to, once you sit down, you want to start on something new. You either have a new idea that you've been thinking about the last week or two, or you just want to just start playing around and see what, you know, what comes. Um, some of these songs on the new album that were tracks that had been, you know, holdovers from a year or two ago that I hadn't finished, I was um, kind of surprised that I managed to actually like force myself to open them and, you know, start reworking them and, and actually finishing them. But like the first track on the album creation, uh, that, that was one that I started 
way back, like with my uh, my fourth album, A Different Kind of Dream, uh, which was in 2018. And I I didn't know if it would ever get finished. It kind of started life as a, a, a you know a throwaway track that I didn't know that I'd ever actually go back to, you know. Um, but I, I always kind of just liked it and, and I listened to it like the demo version, so to speak. I listened to it in my car a bunch and I was like, this is a cool song. It just needs more. Um, and I, I kind of feel lucky in a way that my brain just let me sit down with it, you know, and actually open it back up and get back to work on it. Do you find like I do uh, on those occasions where you do open up something that you've let go for a while? I find it hard to get back into it. Like I might enjoy it as a listener, but I find it hard to get back into it as a writer because I'm not the same writer I was when I created that. A hundred percent. That makes so much sense. It's like you're really just not in the same space. Like you might not remember what you were thinking when you, you know, layered certain things, certain ways. Uh, you also don't even necessarily know, you know, wh- where are you on the keyboard? Like, wh- what are you, e- what are you even playing at this point? Wh- wh- which of these, uh, which of these notes is actually uh, something that's being played, and which is delay effects on on, on another, you know, keyboard or something? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's so hard to really like pick up where you left off. And you know, sometimes when I'm in that, you know, in, in in the examples of, of songs from this album, sometimes you almost have to start the song over, like maybe just pick some elements that still work and, and start over. The The final track on the album is called The Very Last Thing. That song is so, so, so different from what it started off as, because that that's a, a great example of what you were saying. I came back to it and I was like, I don't know what this song is. Like, I don't know what I was trying to do with it, but I could, there's, a couple of elements to it that I don't want to just trash. I want to turn them into something. And so I was able to keep those elements and almost start from scratch just with those elements in it. Sure. And I've done that too. Uh, but I have to say the very last thing that that just has such a wonderful vibe to it from the very beginning. I just it immediately locked onto that song and oh, it, it just you. carried through it. And the, the ending was like the, not just the perfect ending to a song, especially with that little bit of distortion at the end, but mm-hmm. but just I thought it was a great way to end the album. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I did not ex- like expect that to be my album closer when I first started on it, but uh, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I do kind of have a tendency with my albums to close them out with these tracks that just get big and huge, you know. And uh, and then it's almost in a way a callback to my first album because my first album uh, Echoes in the Dark, the last track was called The Dark, and it also ended where like builds, 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 and then it distorts its way out into just like a, you know, just a cutoff ending. Um, and so I don't, I don't know what made me think like, I, I should bring this back to that. Like I should like kind of redo that idea as the way that this track ends. But yeah, I think it just kind of, kind of fit with the music really well. I think so too. And I, I, I found it really interesting that um, the way that your songs, a lot of the songs on the album, they just have this subtle build that you don't really realize it's building. It feels like it's just getting, you know, thicker maybe, but mm-hmm. but all of a sudden you realize, wow, this song is like twice the size it was when it first started. <laughs> and, and I really like that because it's not like uh, something that you're like, oh, okay, it's going to build. It just kind of happens behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden you just feel it. 
Yeah, yeah, I I I love that description of the music. I I definitely um I definitely like that uh that kind of a song really like you know and especially in the world of instrumental music you're not building around you know choruses and verses and stuff like that so you, you kind of have all these different ways to play around how the song is going to be structured and so um yeah it, it opens itself up to things like that and some of the songs i you know i kind of do like the the constant build straight to the end some kind of have sort of chorus like sections to them as if it was a vocal song uh but but yeah always um that is something that i i love is is these songs that just kind of they just build up and i and i love that because i i love the the dramatic nature of it you know yeah i absolutely agree and and Another thing that I really like about this album is the way that you use arps because the difficulty with using more than one for for those who don't know is that it ping pongs between different sides of your headphones. And mm-hmm. if you're trying to layer them, it's very difficult to do because if they don't ping pong in a way that works with the other one or the other two or three that you're using, it can just sound like mush. But there is not one point on this album that I can say was muddy or mushy or not mixed very well. I don't know how you did that because I know that there are times when you're layering them, but you did a masterful job on this album. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I'll tell you one thing that I found uh, that definitely helped me. Um, And I, I would say as you know, to to any electronic musicians listening right now, they're probably just going to like roll their eyes at this particular tip. Uh, But, but uh, I, I kind of cheated in a way by sometimes I would be working with an ARP and I'd be like building with it playing with the, uh, you know, playing with the pattern and and playing with, you know, the envelopes and all that stuff. And, and then I'd say, you know what, I don't want to mess this up. I I'm just going to bounce this to audio and then start a new one. And and so for the next section, I'm just starting with a new one of the same uh, ARP sound. And this way I don't screw up what I had already done. And that already kind of sounds good and start a whole, you know, end up messing up the beginning of that section. Instead, I just build a whole new section with the same sound. And I just keep making more and more of those. And I found that that helped to uh, make sure nothing ever kind of gets away from me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's a good idea. And and I think that it really helped the album. Uh, just the whole thing sounds very rich and full, which I love with this kind of music. I don't mm-hmm. like things that sound too thin because it does, it's not that I want to say that the composer just didn't put any effort into it because sometimes that's really what they want it to sound like. I have a hard time enjoying something that's just too thin, that there really isn't any substance to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. It, it does, like, you know, you... you I don't know. It depends on the kind of music you're into, I suppose. But like you want music to feel uh, you want it to feel full. You want it to feel like it's an it's an entire experience, you know, and I, I think part of that might come from a love of film score where, you know, you're generally speaking, a lot of film score is going to be pretty big and pretty full and uh, just exciting music. Uh, whereas like in, in the world of pop music or, or you know, rock or whatever, uh, th- there's maybe a, a bigger, you know, wider range of what you're going to get. You might be listening to, you know, garage bands and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, in, in the kind of music that I like to make, though, I definitely want it to to have that kind of epicness to it. Yeah, well, you certainly nailed it. And of course, being that you've worked on plenty of films, you have a knack for doing that cinematic style. 
Hmm. which which actually leads me to a question because you said uh, when you were uh, rewriting Creation that you actually pictured it as a film in your head. I I tend to have some elements of visual when I'm writing music, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they're like fragments I can't even grasp. They're almost like, here's things that you need to have in here, so just keep those in mind, mm-hmm. but keep writing. And I don't get like a full picture. How does What happens in your head when you're writing? It, it's different for every song, but yeah, that one is an example of like, I, I basically saw something fairly similar but different to the uh like the fly into the city in, in Blade Runner um was what I kept picturing and it, it just like immediately jumped out at me that that's what I was uh hearing this music to and so I just almost as if I was scoring a film I was scoring that imaginary uh you know scene in my head as I was uh putting it together and continuing to build on the track and build and you know make it bigger and bigger and all that and yeah i mean that's a really i don't know it's 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 also kind of fun when that does pop up when an image does pop up that you can work around because you know it gives you something to work with especially if it's not a uh you know vocal song and you're not you know kind of just accompanying those lyrics uh it, it gives you something else to to work with yeah, that's very true. And it definitely keeps each song being uh, unique because you're seeing a different picture with everything that you do. Right. Absolutely. And and, and, I, and I love making like the music videos that I make uh, for, for these songs. And, you know, it's not always some of them have been just, you know, sheer luck, the right person, right time that I end up working with somebody on a video. And some of them are people I've, you know, just sought out and hired, you know, uh, I hope to be able to release a couple more videos from this album because being able to put that visual component with the music, especially if I have like a very specific idea is just a really exciting way of putting the music out. Oh, for sure. Uh, and that's actually a perfect segue because I wanted to ask you, you, the first video I've seen, and this might be the only one so far, uh, was for multiply. Right. That's the first one from this album. Yeah. I, I loved the imagery in that. Um, it's something that like it, it can, you can get into the imagery, but it also doesn't define the song. So that if I listen to the song on its own, I'm not stuck with that image. Like I would be, say, you know, a music video that a band put out where they're doing a certain function, like caravanning from one place to another, or they're in a bar. And every sure. time I hear the song, I hear that. It's like it's abstract enough to where it suits the song, but I don't I'm not stuck to that vision of it. Yeah, no, I I can totally see where you're, what you're saying there with that, and yeah, I I'm I'm very uh, proud of that video. I just think it's so cool. I I didn't have anything to do with the idea on that one. That was Tobias Steiner, the guy who created it. He's a uh, an animator here here in Las Vegas. He's a visual effects artist and animator, and uh, also programming and stuff like that. And we we had worked on a video together uh, that was a straight up collaboration um about uh four years ago i think called butterfly which was on my album head like fire and uh i've always wanted to do another video with him because i just loved that one so much it just came out so cool and i you know i love that kind of cgi animation stuff and uh so i reached out to him and you know he was stuck at home just like i was and i was, just, I was like hey do you want to you want a gig man I, I i got this uh this song that i think would really work for a video and i sent it to him and 
he actually had some ideas that I ended up using as far as the structuring of the song. I ended up uh, adjusting a few things uh, based on his input, and uh, that that was cool. You know, <laughs> I was I was uh, I was very happy to get a second set of ears on that song, and I think it came out better for the for for that. You know, um, but yeah, he came back to me with that video, which was totally his idea, like the. Uh, the whole visual to it and uh it's just it's such a cool thing i think and it's like you said it's abstract it doesn't take over the song but it also just accompanies it i think in just such a a really interesting cool way and i i do hope i get to make some more videos the next video that i'm going to be putting out is actually uh jumping back to my my other album a different kind of dream my fourth album it's a video that's been in the works for a while and just hasn't been finished but it's going to be finished very soon uh so that'll actually be the next one but then hopefully after that i'll uh, get another another video from one of these songs made very cool is it is it kind of weird though to say hey i i created this baby and uh i don't know here you you take it and you raise it like that's (laughs) just some real trust very weird (laughs) It is. It's very weird. And, and it, you know, I, I would almost say it's even weirder when I have the video idea myself, because uh, like uh, Multiply is, I, I believe, I, I could be getting this wrong, but I believe it's my 11th video. Um, if you go to my website, bydavidrosen.com, insert plug, um, I've got all my videos there. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, I, I believe it's my 11th video. And of those, I the ideas for the stories of the video, I think four of them were mine or five of them. Um, so there's a bunch of them where other, you know, creators are coming up with these stories to, to tell with my music as the, uh, as the music that sets the tone for it. Um, but the other ones where it was my idea that I like wrote like a kind of script or, or like short story that I, I thought would make sense as a, as a little short film. Um, that's like, I don't know. It's like it's doubly, you know, giving giving control over to somebody else, especially for someone who just sits in his room and makes this music himself. Uh, it's definitely an interesting experience. But so far, uh, it's it's been cool. I am really proud of all these collaborations I've done with these filmmakers. Well, and from the ones that I've seen, they're all top notch. I mean, you certainly you could you could say it didn't match the concept, but you can't be unhappy with the quality of it because they're all sure, very good sure. quality. Um the closest that I get to that is collaborating on the album covers with uh, with Kelly. Mm-hmm. She does an amazing job. What I do is she'll ask me what the album is about, and I'll tell her I don't know yet. And then she'll say, "Okay, what are the song titles?" And I'll say, "I don't know yet." And then uh, I'll, I'll as I start as it starts developing, I'll send her over like rough mixes and, and what titles I've got. And then uh, I sketch out some horrid thing. And she just takes that and goes, okay, I see what you want. And then turns it into something that's not only nothing like that, but something that's absolutely amazing. And every one of them that she's done, I've just absolutely loved. I I was really nervous on the first one that we did just because I didn't know how well we were going to work together. But ever since that very first one, it's been absolutely amazing since. I love how you said I sketch out this dreadful thing because <laughs> that, remi- that reminds me of one of my favorite uh quotes from Robert Smith from The Cure, who's my favorite band. And uh, he, he was talking about the album cover for their album 413 Dream. And he, he goes, uh, it's really quite dreadful, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so that just wow. kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, there was, I can't remember which song it was now, but there was one that had kind of a Cure feel to it. 
Oh, I'm I'm sure. I, I they have definitely been a major influence on a lot of my music. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure that that a lot of the stuff that I write, whether I realize it or not, is probably very similar to, with those influences. Um, my favorite track, or what, uh, you know, I'm not usually big on saying that, but the one I'll, I'll say it this way: the one that stood out to me most every time I've listened to this album so far actually is a song called Beacon, which is about oh, cool. halfway through the album. It's it's slightly upbeat, but it just has this wonderful, simple single note progression melody that it just yeah. really draws me in. Right on, yeah. No, I I very much uh, I'm excited about that song. That that song is um, I don't know. There's something about it, and like you said, it's a very simple melody and. I, but it, like that breakdown in the middle, I, I love that. And that that's another song where I, I absolutely see a picture when, when mm. I was making that. And that's why I called it Beacon. I, I pictured this like buoy just floating in the water as these waves were just kind of crashing and like a storm is on the horizon. And uh, I, I just feel like that song, when I hear it, I, I just feel that the swaying of of sitting in a boat and the waves are, are just, you know, kind of just rocking you over and over again. And they're getting stronger and stronger as it goes. Mm, I could see that now, now that you're saying that, as I'm thinking of the song, I definitely, I, I could go with that image. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's, I paint, I paint a picture there for you. You really, yeah, you really <laughs> do. Um, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but you said that there was one that you just wanted to like, let it groove for another minute or two. And then you decided, no, I should probably just end it here. Uh, I, I think that was like never before. I, I think was the one I said that I about. Think so uh, is is that like when I first started songwriting on my own, I really mm-hmm. found that if I just enjoyed playing something, people would probably enjoy listening to it for an hour. So mm-hmm. I had no production of, you know, no producer in me saying um, you're being ridiculous. Cut it out. Where, where is it for you? Do you have, is it just like, okay, I feel that this is the right place to stop it. Or is there some place like you write it and you're like, okay, no, I have to be a producer now and put my hat on and say that doesn't work. I feel like I'm every step of the way thinking about that. Um, I, I just can't help myself. Like it, it's either this needs more or it needs less at every moment until it finally, finally, finally doesn't. And it's, it seems right, you know? Uh, and, and there are songs on this album or on my other albums as well, where I'm, you know, a week away from the final, final finish thing. And I'm still adding like four measures on, or, Mm, or I'm still like adding like a big trail off ending or, or I'm cutting it early. And then I'm, I'm saying, and I'm resaving it as like version eight alternate take. (laughs) And, and, and then I end up making a version nine of the version seven. That wasn't the alternate take, you know, like it's, it's constantly happening. And yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to be honest with myself, I guess. Uh, is this where it needs to be? And, you know, I don't know. I guess I would, I kind of would say I'm lucky in a sense that a, a lot of times uh, I I get to a certain point and I feel right about it and I don't feel like I have to drive myself that much more crazy. There's certainly some songs on the album that did drive me a little bit crazy. I think I talk about that on the commentary track. Yep. But, yeah, but uh, but it it does happen uh, sometimes. But for the most part, the songs kind of 
you know, in a way, show me how long they should be, or or where the changes should be, where where the breakdowns, the buildups, the the little little you know little organic bits and pieces need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that the the more that we do that, the better producer we we become. But that also takes over a lot more in the writing. You just don't write things mm-hmm. that you don't need to because you've learned that you don't need them, and you're just going to cut them out later anyway. Right. You know, funny enough, now that I'm thinking about it, when I was um, getting kind of to the finishing stages of this thing, I did have it in my head that one of these songs should be like eight or nine minutes long. Like this album needs like a crazy long opus, you know, and (laughs) and I I must have decided that was a bad idea because I didn't do that. I think the longest song is like 430 or something. And even the longer songs on this seem to go very quickly. You don't you don't get the feeling that you've been sitting there for four minutes. It feels like it's maybe two or three and you go, you know, what do you mean the song's over already? And then you look and you're like, wow, I didn't realize I'd been listening that long. That is the sign of some really good writing, because the word I was looking for earlier was immersion, being immersed mm. in a piece of music. And that's that's a perfect example of being so immersed in it that you don't realize how much time has passed. I like that. That's cool. You know, another thing um, while I was finishing this thing and, uh, you know, like putting, you know, revision six, revision seven on some of these songs, um, I would make a note. Uh, I, I made it on two of the songs. I remember uh, specifically it was Awake, Asleep, Repeat and on Together Again, where I wrote uh, Earn This Length, mm. um, you know, and like th- this song, if it's going to be as long as it is, if I'm not going to chop off a couple of measures, um, it, it's got to have something that makes it worthwhile staying as long as it is. And, you know, I figured out things that I think made it earn that. Wow, that is a great idea. I've done a couple things where I've written down a note that just I need to glance at every once in a while to keep my perspective on a project. Um, mm-hmm. But they're definitely very helpful. Um, two other things I wanted to bring up about this album that I think are, are really interesting. There were, I think there were two songs that you had mentioned where you they were done and then you went back and added some bass lines to it. And when I listened to those songs while you were doing the commentary, I thought, Wow, I I would be curious to hear it without the bass line, but since I've heard it with it in there, now it would seem empty. But you've mm-hmm. got some really good bass grooves on this album. Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the music I listen to, uh, or or at least maybe not the music I listen to so much nowadays, because nowadays I've I've gotten into a uh, pretty uh, sappy song singer songwriter type of uh, <laughs> thing. That's what I've been listening to lately. Yeah. But what I grew up listening to, let's say, and the stuff that really influenced my music, uh, a lot of really great bass players and a lot of great bass lines and a lot of that stuff. And so I think that seeps into a lot of what I do. Um, but also, you know. As great as one, you know, groove could be, um, you know, when you're not talking about vocal music and, you know, when you really want just all these instruments to really keep your attention the whole time, that's something that I'm really only now starting to experiment with in these these more recent releases is these, you know, bass lines that really change up and, and keep things fresh and interesting throughout instead of just, you know, locking into that one groove and keeping it going the whole time. And sometimes that's what's necessary for the song. And some of the songs do continue. But uh, yeah, th- those were really fun to listen back to and realize, oh, OK, so what I'm doing here is 
taking the original baseline and you know maybe maybe uh, switching some element of it up a little bit or maybe even layering in some kind of synth bass into it to to just kind of like build it out and make it more exciting as we get towards the close but um but yeah i mean i i, I just i just love a good baseline <laughs> yeah me too and especially since i started playing bass and i can't play any of those lines but i can re- appreciate them a lot better <laughs> No, right. I'm really good on the fourth way. string, and that's about it so far. Yeah, that's, that's same same here. I I can maybe play half of them on the mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I I uh, switched from round wound to flat wound strings recently, and I love it so much more. Nice, but it takes a lot to to you know convert to the feel because they're they're closer to the fretboard and they feel completely different. You don't have to strain as much to to press them down to make a sound, but you feel like you do. So you push a lot harder than you need to if you're used to playing round wound. Um, right, it's it's a it's a pretty crazy adjustment for just changing out a string type. Huh. Yeah, that is crazy. But speaking of rhythms, the other thing I wanted to mention about this album that I found really fascinating and, and pretty unexpected, because when you start listening to the album, you really don't you start getting an impression of where you think the album's going to go. But there's a few songs on here that have just some really straightforward drum beats that I did mm-hmm. not expect coming, but they really work well. When you started doing that, did, were you just immediate like, oh, yeah, this is a thing? Or did you kind of question whether you should do that? Well, so most of my albums are a little bit more uh, straightforward, you know, electronic beat based, right. you know. Um, so I definitely do come from that uh, as far as like, you know, historically with my, my previous work. Uh, but I but when I first started with a lot of these songs, I was I was trying to mix in a lot more of my film score based work into uh, into this, into the, the influence of it. And in in such, you know, not going with such uh, straight up beats. And but then as you know, like I was saying earlier about like listening to what the song, you know, really needs and, and figuring out what it actually uh, should have it just kind of came back to that like oh yeah no this has to eventually pick up into that kind of a beat and uh, and so yeah it's, it's just a matter of what what does this song need and I do think at one point early on I was thinking uh, that I would make an entire album that you know was a little bit more cinematic in nature and didn't have many beats to it um, uh, you know, other than more bigger percussion and stuff like that. Uh, but pretty, pretty quickly though, I decided, nah, this still has to have, uh, you know, it's still a David Rosen album and it still, it still has to have, uh, you know, a good strong beat to it as well. Yeah. It's just so rare in this style of music that you, that you hear this kind of driving beat. Some of the rhythms are just, man, that could just carry into a whole nother song. If you were to have done an opus or something, um, you could see that leading into another part, into another part, and it really building. But I, I mm-hmm. think as rare as it is in this style of music that you hear it done this way, I thought it really worked. It took me off guard a little bit when when I first like hit the first couple songs, but it grew mm-hmm. on me very quickly. Right on, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's an interesting way of uh, also just you know blending all of all of my influences together really in a way, because, you know, my, my influences for my music do come from a lot of different areas of music. I mean, when I first started getting into music, it was because I wanted to make industrial music and I was producing rappers and then I was working on film scores and I always love alternative music. And so just getting, getting influence from all of those places, because I, I do think it's kind of impossible to not, um, 
you know, not be a product of your influences. Oh, absolutely. It, it's just, it, it becomes a question of, do you notice it? Is it blatant or is it something that's subtle and you, or you've just twisted it into your own way where it's not really recognizable, but it's still there? Right. Right. Absolutely. And then that's what you got to strive to do. Right. I mean, I'm not referring to the Led Zeppelin lawsuit, but that is a good example. <laughs> right. For sure. I heard I, I don't know, uh, you know, when you read something on the Internet, who knows what's true. But I heard that that's finally settled, that the, uh, the oh. judge said, uh, no, it's not close enough. I'm not going to hear any more about this. And it's just done. So I, I don't know if it really is or not, but I'm sure that that's a relief to a number of people that are just <laughs> sick to death of having that cloud hanging over their head. I am sure. <laughs> <laughs> One, uh, so so I, I really encourage everybody to give this album a spin because it really is good. It's the kind of album that you can just, you know, lay down or sit in a comfortable chair. I definitely recommend listening to it through a good set of headphones or earbuds because there's so much going on sonically and dynamically that if you just like have it on a speaker or, or, you know, you're playing it through your computer speakers, I think you're really going to lose a lot of the dynamics of the mm -hmm. album because it really is pretty intricate. Yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, I did the majority of the mixing on headphones. Um, I, I, I feel like nowadays a lot of people do just listen to their phone or, you know, listen to Bluetooth or whatever. And so uh, I feel like headphones is like the best way, you know, and I think you'll get all of the, the little, you know, little touches that I tried to put in there if you're listening on a good pair of headphones, for sure. I would agree. One other question I had, I'm, I'm curious about your mixing process. Do you typically bounce uh, all the tracks to audio tracks and then mix it that way? Do you kind of pre-mix MIDI or how do you do it? Um, I, I don't. I, I am, I'm the kind that is basically mixing the whole time. <laughs> that's kind of my process every every new uh you know adjustment every new layer every new instrument i'm constantly just mixing right up until the end and then any tweaks and changes um of course at a certain point i have to bounce some of the tracks just for you know cpu usage and everything right, but yeah. uh but but yeah basically i am just constantly mixing the whole time mm -hmm. I find that there's certain instruments when I bounce them that they don't have the same lustrous quality that they did when they were when I was just playing through the virtual instrument. And I have to mm -hmm. bounce those to audio and beef them up to where they were supposed to sound in the first place. That's the biggest issue for me. Yeah, yeah, I that that's part of the reason why I'm just like every few years, just like, I, I guess I got to build my computer up more um, because I really hate having to bounce instruments. I, I, I want to be able to go in and tap a few extra notes into that one repetition or, you know, like I want, I want every instrument to be accessible at all times, you know? Right. Yeah. And that, that would really be nice. <laughs> <laughs> One of the, but, but the technology is getting there. Um, it is getting more cost effective. I mean, look at just storage alone. Storage used to be extremely expensive. And now you can get, you know, a two terabyte hard drive for about $45. And I yeah, think about this. Totally. Like, I remember spending $100 for a 100 megabyte hard drive, which was the greatest thing in the world. And I had to drive clear into the country to get it. And <laughs> And now it's I remember just, those know, days. right down the street. I, I live like five minutes from Fry's Electronics. Although I, w I will say, though, that my uh, my next project before I allow myself to work on the next album is cleaning up my hard drive. Even though I've got the space technically, um, it, it has to be done. 
<laughs> all, all my files need to be cleaned up. I do not need 17 versions of every song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you could you could bounce them as uh, like MP3s or, or waves to listen to for the the nostalgic or historical purpose of it. Uh, yeah, and then get rid of the rest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like I, I recommend when people you know, of course, we don't have basements here in in Vegas, but uh, when when people have a lot of stuff in their basement, I'm like you know what, I, I understand that these are precious memories. Take a picture of it, make a nice photo album, a digital photo album, or whatever, and then get rid of all of that stuff. Because that's right. you don't that's right. physically need it anymore. It's so true. That's that's been a big uh, part of my 2020. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I got rid of most of my stuff before I moved to LA, so I I don't really have that issue anymore. But nice. I I could I could I've got a pile for Goodwill. That if I ever get the energy to do it, I'll take it over there. Um, right. <laughs> So let's let's talk about the uh, the shows that you've got going, because uh, um, obviously film scoring is probably a little slow right now since nobody's been filming for a while and all the editing is probably well done at this point. Um, right. Uh, so you've got the Piecing It Together podcast, which I really enjoy. I wish I knew more about films that I could I could really enjoy the show more because it's a very intelligent show. I love the idea of everybody bringing in like, here's something that I think influenced the film. It's another puzzle piece. I love that format. Um, mm -hmm. it, it everybody, my favorite part of the show is that everybody is so respectful of everyone else's opinion. It's not judgmental. It's not, no, that's stupid. That, that doesn't make sense. Like it's just a nice, polite, respectful conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because that is like probably my favorite part of doing the show is just bringing in all these different people. You know, every I, I have recurring guests sometimes, but I, I'm always adding new guests into the uh, into the loop. And it, it's just a, a fun way to talk about movies. And, you know, some of the people that I've had on are just like you know, the people who don't watch anything except for Criterion Collection films, you know, and then yeah. some of the some of the people are people who watch nothing but Marvel films. You know, it's like every 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 area of movie fan um, can be a guest and can can point to different references and things like that. It's, you know, everybody sees movies differently and everybody, um, you know, absorbs movies differently and will have different ideas of what they think might have been an influence on on these new releases and so yeah all these people they they bring a different kind of point of view and that i think is a a great way to keep a podcast fresh and you know obviously with like an interview based show um you know that that's why the guests are so important and then for what i'm doing it's uh even though it's a different kind of show it you know it, it's still the guests are super super important in keeping it uh fresh and fun Absolutely. And I, I kind of just feel like there's so many things that thrive on conflict or negativity to be their their thing to engage people. It's really refreshing to me how respectful and, and just thought provoking of a show it is. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I mean, when I'm listening to somebody and they're like, OK, here's my next puzzle piece. And I go, I don't know how you ever connected that dot. But man, <laughs> yeah. that was that's so right on, you know. Yeah. And sometimes that's me. It, it is you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, some of the references I don't get because I'm just not that into pop culture and I don't I haven't seen a lot of movies, so I don't really know a lot of the, the conversation. But what I am sure. able to connect with, I certainly enjoy. And, uh, and I'm really glad you're doing that show. You've been doing that for a while now. Yeah, it's been uh, it was just three years in April, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it, it's uh, it's. 
it's it's been a really fun ride and even though it has taken over way more of my time than i ever expected it to um i i just really enjoy doing it you know yeah it's you know it's a hard thing when you've got multiple things that you're doing to really find the balance of uh keeping things moving forward not being stretched Mm -hmm. so thin that you're not productive in any of them how do you balance all of that i it's it's hard i i I'll let you know when I figure out a good way to balance it. But, <laughs> but, but w- one thing I will say, though, that that is a, uh, a a nice thing about the show also is at the end of every episode, I play a piece of my music that um, maybe, you know, kind of feels like something that could fit with that movie. And, and so it's a, a nice way to kind of just tie it back together to my film scoring, which is my, you know, my main thing, really, when it comes down to it. And and so that way, uh, you know, maybe get get some new listeners on my music at the same time as, you know, providing this cool podcast. No, that and that's a brilliant idea. And I'll tell you, when I do watch movies, I find a lot of times that there is a song that they license for a movie that I just all of a sudden love that song. And I have to find out who did it and what it is and go download it. And uh, it, it's amazing how easy it is to find new music if you just put yourself in a position of being exposed to it. And I think that's right, a great idea. Right. Just, yeah, stick a, stick some music on there and, you know, hopefully people won't stop the podcast after the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I figure if they're, if they're still listening at that point, maybe they're down for some new music. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And of course your loyal fans are probably halfway through the episode going, I wonder what he's going to play. That's right. Yeah. That, that, that would be great. A guessing game or whatever, trying to make a drinking game out of it. There you go. That could be fun. Except Absolutely. for the people that listen to podcasts in the car. I'm not talking about you people. Don't do that. Yes. Yes, that's true. That would that would not be the right time. <laughs> right. Not a, not a, and I tell people that about my uh, mental sauna music. I'm like this is not for listening in the car. It's designed to relax <laughs> you. You are behind the wheel. Yes. You know. That's right. Think think this through. Uh So then you have another film related podcast which is it uh, is a little bit different though. Go ahead and talk about that. Sure. So uh, Awesome Movie Year is a podcast that I'm, I'm kind of a hired gun on it. I, I produce it, I record it, I edit it, I do all the behind the scenes stuff. And I am on mic uh, while the guys are recording. So I, I will pop in every once in a while with a little bit of a, a little, you know, thought or tidbit or something. But um, but mainly it, it's this film critic here in Vegas, Josh Bell, and his best friend who is a filmmaker and stand up comedian. Uh, his name is Jason Harris. And what they do is we we split each uh, season of the show into a different year in movies. It's called Awesome Movie Year. And we look at why that particular year is an awesome movie year. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, the first season, they're actually about to start season six, but uh, the first season was 1994. And so there are uh, 13 set episodes per season, and there are different categories like uh, Best Picture Winner, um, a notable first film from a, uh, a filmmaker who would go on to become a major filmmaker, a uh, future cult classic, a, a, a notable documentary. And so different categories like that that are set for each season. And that way, you know, when the next season's coming up, you might think like, oh, next season's going to be 1977. That's the one that we're finishing up right now. I wonder what movies are going to, you know, fill in the blanks for with that one, you know. And so, so it's a, it's a fun, uh, a fun format. And those guys do a lot of great research going in, um, to talk about each of these movies and they really kind of bring it back to, you know, 
how were the movies received when they came out? Uh, what impact did they have? And uh, it, they, they get into a lot of really great and in, interesting information. One of my favorite parts is they, uh, Josh usually does it. He brings up some of the uh, classic reviews from the time that it came out. So you kind of get the idea of like, oh, this is how it was reviewed. And this is like certain movies that are, you know, considered, you know, classics or something like that. You find out like, oh, you know, Ebert hated it or something or, you know, or like people just weren't really seeing it for what it was or, or maybe the opposite way around, you know. And, uh, and and so it's like really interesting seeing these movies and their place in history. I find the the idea of the critics was so interesting to me, you know, when Siskel and Ebert first started their show. Why are they the be all and end all of whether you should go see a movie? It, it's, you know, it's right. like everybody's opinion is so different. Their tastes are different. Their interests are different. How does what these two guys say have any impact on anything? But it did. Yeah, it absolutely did. I mean, Ebert especially is just like, I don't know, he, his his opinion just has lived on in, in so many ways. And um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's the thing, even today, uh, a lot of times, like, like the movies that win the Oscars and stuff like that are things that nobody sees, you know, and, and grant, granted, I tend to love a lot of those movies myself, but, uh, but the average moviegoer never sees these movies that usually Oscars come along and they're like, I never even heard of that movie, you know, and the movies, they get all the best reviews are usually things that people haven't seen. And, but it, it's funny how, you know, time ends up putting everything in perspective. And so that that's a, a fun thing about the way that they jump around different years in awesome movie year. Um, you know, really lets you put these different years in perspective and how the movies were, uh, you know, received then and how they're thought of now and what the lasting impact of them were. Well, and of course, one of the biggest factors in the success of a, of any, you know, top ranked movie was or, or a movie that was should have been top ranked was what it was up against when it came out at the box office. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were up Absolutely. against E.T. or Star Wars, you might as well just pack it in. You know, yeah, no reason to release <laughs> so anything true. that that week or that month, really. Yeah, for, I forget specifically what the movies were, but uh, we were, like I said, we were just doing 1977, and um, it came up that uh, Christmas weekend, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was Star Wars, Close Encounters of Third Kind, and Saturday Night Fever. Oh man! Um, like, I mean, what what else is anybody doing other than going to the movies that weekend? <laughs> like, seriously, with those three movies, right? Like, it's insane. Well, really, what were they doing besides standing in line to get into the movie? Because you had that to wait, too. yeah, and wait and wait, yeah. Because I mean, that you have to too. think too when when they compare those numbers to today's numbers, they have to adjust for the fact that there were nowhere near as many cinemas available sure even within the number of cinemas they had nowhere near as many screens and Mm -hmm. you know it was it was a lot more limited so when they look at those numbers and compare them to here's what the dollar figure is today that's not even an apples to apples comparison because you couldn't get that many people into a theater at that time yeah no it's it's a very interesting thing the way that that changes over time and you know who knows with everything going on right now we may be uh heading back to something like that at some point but uh yeah yeah know, didn't uh did one time. of the theaters that we have just close up permanently uh not permanently uh so, until further notice uh okay. the regal chain yeah um but they, they have no you know indefinite uh, you know time of being closed and then there are also rumors that amc is going to be out of cash by January. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it, it's pretty grim times right now with everything going on. But 
Um, I'd have to. I'd have to wonder. My favorite thing to do. It is. That's the thing. (laughs) Have you been back since any of them have opened? I can't do it. I, I just. I, you know, as much as it is my absolute favorite thing to do is my favorite it's really the only way i truly enjoy what like i i force myself to watch movies at home because i I have to but like i i prefer by a million going to the theater to watch a movie and i will go back eventually you know and i i'll see every damn thing that comes (laughs) because i've missed it so damn much um but but uh yeah right now it just doesn't seem smart especially in a city like vegas yeah. Well, we have people coming in here from all over the place. I mean, I live right by the airport, so I hear, you know, planes all day long. And it baffles yeah. me that that we're in this lockdown, but people are still kind of doing whatever they want. And I mm-hmm. I don't know how it ends with that, yeah. especially in a city like here where, you know, people are traveling from wherever. So we don't know what they're bringing here. It's certainly a dangerous time to, to live in any city that's uh, a kind of a tourist trap. Uh, well, more so yeah. than it usually is, because it's always kind of dangerous to <laughs> to live here. I walk. I used to walk the strip once a week, and with all the door handles I've touched, I'm pretty sure I'm immune to everything. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's good training right there. Yeah. But, but by the way, the, the bleakness of this uh, is a good uh, setup for talking about Bird Road podcast. Oh, perfect. Um, <laughs> which is typically typically incredibly bleak. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you one other question though, or, or maybe make a comment. Um, I, I can kind of feel for the movie theaters because even if they were to open up for the distance that you would have to have, you could only sell so many seats per theater. You've got to have the right. concessions open. You've got to have the janitors. You've got to have the people to run it, the electricity. It's going to really become a fine line between we're open just to be open versus we're actually making a few dollars. It has to become profitable. And if you can't get enough people to fill the seats, how can you how can you even open and make it work? Yeah, it, it's just unsustainable. And I mean, look at music venues. I mean, they they can't open because that's also unsustainable. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a mess. Well, interestingly, <laughs> I have I, I just saw a couple of days ago that Absinthe is going to be reopening. They're the first one. Yeah. Have you ever been to Absinthe? I have not. No, that's one of the shows I haven't seen. Those seats are crammed so tight together that you're basically having an intimate affair with the people on either side of you. I mean, they must be going at like 50 percent, maybe. Yeah, they would have to really spread it out. So, again, it becomes that. Well, of course, they're going to sell out every show if they're the only game in town. Mm -hmm. But that's true. I don't know. It just it just seems really weird to me. How How do we end it? It's it's just like the craziest times I could ever have imagined. I know. Who, who would have thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, enough of that. Let's talk about your other podcast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But Bird, Bird, Bird Road. Yeah. Which was the first one. Um, that that was the entry into podcasting for me. Uh, my, my best friend Q and I, we we always wanted to try to um, do some kind of project long distance together. He used to live here in Vegas and we used to do various comedy related things uh, back when in our twenties, you know, and he moved to Miami and we wanted to do something together. And so we started this podcast, which is also kind of the launching point of his uh, all points West podcast network, which all these other podcasts are a part of, and also a few others as well. And um, yeah, it's just, it's the two of us, chatting and uh get it getting into everything happening in the world again especially nowadays just 
nonstop bleakness, but uh, you know, we we try to we try to make it fun to listen to, and, and it's usually pretty funny, I think. And uh, we we sometimes add in like little skits and bits and stuff like that, and then also do interviews as well sometimes. Wow, that sounds kind of more like a variety show almost. It, it kind of is, yeah. And I think if we weren't both so busy producing these other podcasts because he, he produces a couple others. Then I've got my, you know, ones that we just talked about as well as all rice, snow beans and other uh, podcasts that, I, that I'm involved with here in Vegas. Um, you know, if we weren't so busy, I think we'd be really building it out into like a full flat show. And we, we also have done some live shows in front of crowds and stuff like that um, with the podcast. And we, we hope to get back to that eventually um, when, you know, things like that can happen again. Sure. Oh, that's got to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it it was. It's uh it's intimidating, you know. I mean, even though I certainly don't mind being in front of a crowd, but it's just uh, you know, it, it's it's a little bit different um when you're talking about, you know, stuff like politics and uh and and things happening in this world and and people getting so, you know, offended and stuff like that, you know. So everything's just so uh, you know, contentious now. And so it's, it's an interesting format to, to talk about. Sure. And then when you add the, uh, the claustrophobia on top of that, where <laughs> pretty much you just like look at a person wrong and it'll set them off. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely so kind true. of dangerous times. Do you get a lot of, uh, feedback from, from fans and stuff on those episodes? Um, I, on Bird Road, uh, not so much. I, the, the funny thing is, is even though we will continue doing that show probably until we're in our 80s, um, we, we we really are so much more focused on our other shows. I think the the ones that we produce, you know, for me, piecing it together, and uh, for for Q, uh, his wife's podcast, Entry Dose, and a couple other podcasts that he does. Um, you know, those are like the main focuses. And so we kind of make bird road episodes and they do what they do. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not like actively uh, engaging in the social media and stuff like that. He's gone out of his way to tell people not to follow us on Facebook. Um, And so it's like, yeah. And so it's like, uh, yeah, we, we don't really engage too much with bird road. It's more of like, almost like a home base for us Uh, in the middle of all of our other podcasting work. We always come back and do more bird road. I kind of like that, though. We're going to do what we're going to do, and we'll put it out there if you want to check it out, as opposed to, hey, here's a show that we've planned out meticulously, and here's what we're going to do. It, it just It's better yeah. when it's natural anyway. Yeah, especially between two friends. You know, yeah. it's like, it's just, you know, that, that's the main the main goal. Oh, absolutely. And it, it always comes off better. I, I always find that the podcasts that I enjoy the most are ones where it's a couple people that know each other really well. They can relax around each other. They're not rigid trying to please their fans. It's just, here's who we are. If you like us, great. If you don't, that's cool. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So uh, tell us about All Rice and No Beans. So All Rice and No Beans, which unfortunately because of the pandemic is on a bit of a hiatus right now, but we're hoping to bring it back uh, in, in a couple months, uh, hopefully, or you know as soon as we can. But um, it's a, a podcast hosted by uh, Stephanie Barajas from Lindo Michoacan, the Mexican restaurant uh, here in Las Vegas. And she interviews other restaurant owners about uh, the struggles of, of running a restaurant and also interviews her father who built the Lindo Michoacan brand. And uh, we compare and contrast the different stories and with his stories and with uh, everything he went through building that brand. And it's a, a great 
great, fun podcast, a really great insight into the world of restaurants, and especially for a city like Las Vegas, where you just have like an endless uh, amount of content to get through. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, it was really uh, growing and people were just really loving it. And then of course the pandemic hit restaurants shut down and now it's all, you know, it's, it's just a crazy time, but I know that um, when the time's right, we'll be able to get that back up and running again. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because right now everybody's story is going to be, well, our pickup is open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, that's why it's like, you know, you can't really tell people to go check out these restaurants. It's like, yeah. you kind of feel weird. I even feel weird about piecing it together, telling people to check out movies that are in the theater now. I'm like, uh, maybe I should just cover a Netflix movie, you know? <laughs> well, and I have to wonder, though, if the if the on-demand isn't going to speed up, you know, that delay between theater and on-demand just for that reason, yeah. because there aren't because people aren't going to have all the opportunities to go see it in the theater. They're going to want to start making that money back. I have to think that yeah. that gap is going to be a lot shorter. Yeah, it, it's it's already happening and it's going to continue to happen. And I just hope that when things are OK, that the bleeding will stop, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and because I do celebrate the idea of, you know, I, I, I love streaming and I love VOD and I, I love all that stuff, but. I, I hope that the main way you first see a movie is still the theater uh, in the future at some point. Yeah, because there's something about the theater experience. I mean, you're dealing with a much better sound system than anyone's going to have in their house unless you're George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. And Absolutely. There, there's something about being out there in the, with the large screen and losing yourself in that movie. It's harder to mm -hmm. lose yourself if you're watching on a computer monitor or a TV at home. It really is. And, uh, you know, you can you can do all the things in the world to try to make your home experience like a theater and some amazing, you know, home ups and stuff like that. But it's never going to be exactly the same. And I also like honestly think every every aspect of going to the theater kind of adds into the experience of watching a movie it's it's the the drive there it's the sitting down in your seat it's yes the other people that are there i know people love to complain about people at the theater but it's that shared experience of you know experiencing that movie together like there's so much there's so much great to seeing a movie with people right well that doesn't happen at the galaxy theater because they'll just throw you out if you're even the yeah. slightest bit disrupted they will just throw you right out and I love that. Yes, they will. As they should. As they should. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm a big fan of your stuff and I, I really enjoy this album. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about it. I really hope that people will uh, will give it a spin because I think, uh, you know, if you're if you're not one of those people that only likes the certain, you know, poppy song structure, I think, mm -hmm. if, you know, if you're if you're open to, to any kind of new age or any kind of uh, off the, the main fairway music. This is a great album to listen to. It, it's got all the elements. It's rich and full, has a great mix to it. Uh, I'm a huge fan of it. And I'm not just saying that because we're friends. I genuinely love this album. I appreciate that so much, man. Thank you so much for, for listening to it. And thank you so much for having me back on your show. Well, you told me I didn't have a choice. That's true. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely keep me posted on what's going on. I'll have the links to everything in the show notes, all the podcasts that people can enjoy, links to the album. Um, it's, it's available everywhere. I mean, I know I got it off of, uh, your band camp, but it's on Amazon, iTunes, all the places, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to put it anywhere, even the ones that don't make any money. Screw it. I just want <laughs> right. it to be heard. Well, but you, know, you never know when somebody's <laughs> just going to find it and go, wow, this is amazing. I want to check out everything that this guy's ever done for his entire life. That's right. And that's a little creepy, but I'm totally okay with it. Well, <laughs> fortunately, we're in a lockdown, so I'm sure even the stalkers are suffering. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you take care of my friend. Come back and see us again. And in the meantime, just keep Keep making great things for us to enjoy. Thanks so much, man. You bet. Well, if you're not pumped to check this album out, I don't know what to tell you because it is just chock full of great music, great sounds. May or may not be your cup of tea. That's the, the questionable thing with any kind of music, but really especially New Age because it's so uh, individual for a lot of people. But I think that this stuff is great. I think that the mix and the sound is great. The feel of it is great. And I cannot wait to see what he does next. So thank you guys for tuning in once again to the Haskin Cast podcast. Get in line. Subscribe to this. Subscribe to the Uriah Heap, the Magicians podcast, which is now out there everywhere. Episodes start November 3rd. In the meantime, take care. Leave ratings. Leave reviews. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Cheers.